Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now we continue our study in the Gospel according to John. We're in John chapter 19 with a message from Pastor Joel Woodard, The Crucifixion of Jesus. We've been going through the Gospel according to John uh, this whole fall. We're in chapter 19 this morning, so if you want to follow along, and uh, it's on page 852 in your pew Bible. It's a Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take that home. Uh, if you have your own Bible, John 19. 19. Uh, we have this week, then next week, and then we're going to do a Christmas program on the 18th, and then we'll wrap up John actually on Christmas Day with a fish dinner, uh, and you'll see how that uh, all comes together, but it's kind of a beautiful, uh, a beautiful thing. So just three more uh, weeks in John, we're getting to kind of the, the culmination, the climax of the, the Gospel of John. Today we'll see uh, the crucifixion. Uh, so I'd like to begin the message, really, by reading a section from John 19. Uh, if you can picture it in your minds, they're celebrating the Passover. Jerusalem is overrun with people on this day. The lambs are being brought to the temple for sacrifice, for, for slaughter. And the scene that we're about to read is going to take place. So you can picture all that in the background. I'd like to read John 19, beginning in verse 31. John 19, 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. One of the soldiers pierced his side with the spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken." Fulfilling the prophecy of the, the Passover lamb in Exodus 12. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Let's pause right there. When the prophecy that Chris read from Zechariah, when that finally comes true, when they behold, when they look on Jesus on the cross and truly see him for who he is, there would be a fountain of mercy and grace from his side. That their sins would be forgiven, that their shame would be taken away. Let's pause once more and, and pray. Lord, as we come to this text of Scripture, Lord, there is, there is so much before us this morning that, that a half an hour message can't even, can't even really even approach it. But Lord, I pray that the, the word, as we read it and we meditate on it, that we look to you. As we see the scene of you going 
uh, to your death on the cross, Lord, that it would change us. Lord, that you would open our eyes so that we could see, we could truly see, that we could behold you. Lord, open our ears so we can hear. Lord, soften our hearts so that we, we can understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd actually like to, to set this whole message up today by giving you a scene or a picture that I'm, I'm sure you've seen before. Uh, because if you've ever been to a swimming, like a public swimming pool, uh, and, and you see this scene happen over and over again, maybe hundreds of times in your life. Uh, as you look around, you know, there's kids playing uh, in the pool. Someone's throwing something. There's the lifeguard on their little stand about to blow the whistle. No wrestling in the pool. And, and then in the corner over there, you almost always see it, a dad in water about waist deep with his arms out, and there's a little kid shuffling to the side of the pool. You know that kid can't swim, but the dad is in there with his arms outstretched. Come on, jump to me. You can do it. Come on, I'll catch you. And you see that little kid shuffle up to the side of the pool, looking at dad, knowing that dad, I can trust him. I know he's stronger than me. I know he'll catch me. But then it's almost always you see them get up to the side of the pool, and as they're just about to jump, they like stop themselves, and where do their eyes go? Down to the water. You see, when they're looking at dad, they're like, I have trust in him. I have faith in him. But as soon as their eyes lock look down, they look at the water, and then all of a sudden they start, they start thinking, I could drown. This water's not going to save me. What if, what, what if dad doesn't catch me? Uh, this could be the, I, I don't know if I can jump. You see, depending on where they were looking, something changed inside them. You see that? The, what they were beholding was, was changing something in them. I, I reckon it's probably the same thing that Peter thought on that day when he was in that storm on the boat. Do you remember that story? Uh, there's a storm going on. Everything's up in the air, and they're in the middle of the sea. When they look up, and all of a sudden, they see this ghost walking on the water. I mean, it has to be a ghost. Who else walks on water? And, and as, this, uh, as this ghost walks on the water, it gets closer and then pronounces, no, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter's like, okay, if it's really you and you're not a, you're not a ghost, then you tell me to walk out on the water with you. And Jesus is like, you can picture it just like in the swimming pool. Arms out. Come on, Peter. Come on. And sure enough, Peter steps out of the boat, and as long as his eyes are beholding, are looking, are gazing on Jesus, there's this faith that's produced in him, and he's walking on water. But as soon as he gets out, his eyes go down, and then he starts to sink. You see, uh, just like that child uh, looking at dad or looking at the water, just like Peter looking at Jesus or looking at the water, we're going to see today that what you truly behold, what you look at, what you gaze upon, actually changes something inside of you. And you, you might be thinking, uh, okay, I, I go through my week, and if Jesus was there, sure, I'd be gazing on, on him, I'd be beholding him, but I don't actually see Jesus during my week. And, and, and even if I did, how would it change me? What, what, what's happening inside of me that would that should be changing and, and move. Where am I supposed to behold as I go throughout my, my week? Well, this all brings us back to our text today, is we're going to walk through the story of the crucifixion. And this text is actually going to uh, direct our eyes to pause and gaze and behold uh, four things. Uh, four things today. They're, they'll actually be marked, three of them are marked by the word behold. Uh, behold. 
Uh, Brooke actually did some research and found out that behold in our Bibles it is mentioned 1,500 times. It's almost like as you're reading through the, the Bible, it's trying to be like, behold, get your eyes up, behold. And so as we walk through the crucifixion this morning, uh, we're going to pause four times and we're going to behold something. And if you behold it, if you put your eyes on it, if you gaze on it and stop and meditate, then you might just be changed as well. So let's look. Let's look at our first behold. I want to invite you into the story. Uh, we'll start on John 19 and verse 1. It's on eight, page 851, just a page back in your pew Bible. You can follow along with me. John 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm in bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Let's pause right there. Behold the man. You see, the Jews, they'd actually brought Jesus to Pilate after uh, Caiaphas, the, the high priest, and said, let's take him to uh, Pilate who can put Jesus to death. Uh, they bring Jesus to him because they want, they want Pilate to go, uh, we're going to kill this man. We're getting, they're so angry, they're so bitter, uh, with, with actually no reason to be other than that Jesus is, is showing them their own sins and their own uh, like faults and brokenness, and they don't want to even see it. So they say, kill this man. They're so angry. They bring him to Pilate, but it's the Passover, right? So they're going to celebrate the Passover that night. And if they go into Pilate's headquarters, they're going to be unclean. So they stay outside, but they want to wait to see what Pilate's going to do. Is he going to, is he going to uh, do what they've demanded them to do? They want to put pressure on them. And so Pilate takes Jesus and puts him back in the headquarters. And there he has him beaten and mocked and bruised, and crushed. And he's questioning him, and the whole time he's going, there's, this guy's innocent. There's, there's nothing wrong with this man. But to appease the crowds, he, he brings Jesus back out and puts them out. They've all been waiting for them outside, and he, and he, and he cries out, Behold the man! Now, now what's happening here, I think as John is, is recalling all this stuff, is he's putting so many pieces together. But he's actually stopping and beholding the man, Jesus. And at that moment, to stop and let our eyes fix on him. Did, have any of you seen uh, Mel Gibson's movie, The, the Passion? I, I saw that a couple years ago. It was really hard to watch. I don't know if it was for you guys as well. But there were several times in that movie that I found myself going, ooh, like I wanted to look away. Be because the idea of uh, an innocent man a gentle, loving, kind man being beaten as Jesus was is hard to look, hard to look at. But as we come to our text, this is what John wants us to do. Behold the man. The, the man that was beaten and crushed. 
who was bruised and mocked. And he's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. He's only living in this broken, violent world. You see, the, the world began that way when the first man, Adam, whose name means man, when we first behold the first man and how sin came into the world, and through that sin, uh, death, disease, destruction, jealousy, violence, lying, hatred, all this evil in the world is like blanketing the world in this curse for 2,000 years. And this curse that we all lived in for, for so long, if it had like a logo or a stamp or if they wanted to market the curse, it would probably be on there. There would be an image of a thorn. A thorn. The curse is, is really uh, imaged or embodied in this thorn. If we go back to Genesis 3, there's a curse that's brought in the world because of uh, man's sin and rebellion. Genesis 3.17 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. As a result of, of sin and rebellion and the curse in the world, there's going to be thorns in the world. Now Jesus, who's presented, and behold the man on his head, he's wearing a crown of thorns. This picture of a bruised, crushed man and almost taking in on himself the image or the whole curse itself being crowned on his body. But this isn't a picture of defeat. It's a picture of victory, actually. Because just before that, in Genesis 3, God says to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, the seed of the woman, a man, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's this hope that one day the serpent crusher will come, the seed of the woman, a man who will in himself be bruised and crushed, but in that bruising and crushing will step on the head of the serpent and destroy evil and sin and shame and guilt. And now before us, as Pilate pronounces, he says, Behold, the man, the bruised crushed man who has the image of the curse on his head. The innocent man who took the penalty for your and my sin. Behold the man. And I think if we stop for just a moment this morning and behold this man who was bruised and pierced for our sin, to see the price that he paid for our sin and rebellion, it would be no small thing the next time you're tempted to sin. In fact, the evil and sin in the world should make us want to at the same moment look away from that, like, oh, that's just disgusting. That's so hard to see. In the same way that it is so hard to see the man, the innocent man who gave his life up for each one of us. I think if we really truly behold the man who took our sin, it should lead us to all repentance. 
knowing that sin is not just something you can rationalize or, or put lightly away. Sin is something that, that Jesus took in his body, was bruised and beaten and killed for. It should lead us all to repentance, to asking for forgiveness, to, to taking the, the price that he paid seriously. And when we realize that price that he had been that he has paid, you'll, you'll actually, when you look upon that man, you, you will see that your sins have been atoned for. You no longer have to carry them. The guilt that you feel, if it's placed on Jesus, you are free from now. It says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're free. You're forgiven. It doesn't matter what happened in your past. Jesus paid for it all on the cross. So you can be forgiven and free and when you feel that weight of sin and the curse on you, behold the man who took it away. You, you can be forgiven and set free. If you truly behold the man, it will change you. We could spend lots of time there, but I want to actually turn our eyes now to see the second image. The second time we'll see behold. John 19 and verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place uh, called the Stone Pavement, in an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote on an inscription and put it on the cross. It, it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Let's pause there one more time and, and take a few minutes to behold your king. 
Behold your king. You know, there's no higher ranking than king. In, in any nation or community of people, the king is it. The king has ultimate authority. What a king says uh, happens. There's no discussion. There's no debate. The king wants it. He gets it. That's what it is. He has power. He has authority. And what's happening in this scene, I think, uh, I'm reminded of what I played as a kid. It's called King of the Mountain. You ever played that game? If you haven't, it goes, it's really, it always ends with a fight. But <laughs> there's some higher, there's some high place, a hill, or even if it's a chair or whatever, and, and everyone's trying to get to the top of the mountain. And, and how you get there is you push people off and you push people down. And once you're on top, you're like, I'm the king. But then you have to keep pushing people down. And then you get blindsided from behind and that's not fair and and then another person gets up on the thing and until finally mom says cut it out and stop it don't do that anymore that's what's happening here uh, watch how they play this this game uh, Pilate who thinks he's in in charge of everything he he says uh, here I am I'm going to say this is your king and look what I've done to your king the, the highest one among you the one who has all authority and power among you. Look what I'm doing to him. I can do anything I, I want to him. So he goes to this place called Gabbatha. Did you see that? Gabbatha. And he sits there. Gabbatha in Aramaic is a very interesting word. It means the elevated place. The high place. And as Pilate goes to this high place, he says, I'm king of the mountain. I can do what I want to do. In fact, this is what I think of you and all your people. He's innocent, and I'll still just beat him if I want to. He thinks he's on top of the mountain uh, until the Jews cry out, mm -mm, there's somebody higher than you. If you don't do this, you're no friend of Caesar. You know, your boss, the guy who can kill you. It's like they push him off the mountain and go, nope, you're not king of the mountain. Caesar is. And they claim allegiance to, to Caesar. Well, Caesar is our king, and so now we're higher than you. I win. We win. And the Jews push Pilate off. And on and on this struggle goes up till to present day, isn't it? Where, where everyone's trying to push someone else off the king of the mountain and make themselves be king of the mountain. Everyone in the story, all through humanity, is fighting for the place of authority and power except for one. Except for Jesus. And in this story, Jesus says, you don't have a clue. There is one that has authority and power over everyone. And so anything that happens is underneath this rule of God, the great king. And God, the great king, has given me authority and power on earth, but not to push people off and to make himself great, but actually to lay his life down to raise other people up, to bring healing and reconciliation. Now, if we truly beheld our king, the one who could do anything he wants, lay his life down for others, to come to be a servant of everyone, if we truly beheld him as our king, maybe that would change the way that we go about with other people. Maybe that would change our perspective in the world. That, that actually the greatest may not be the greatest, but the servant of everyone might, might be the, the highest. The people that give their lives for 
other people. Maybe that would change your purpose and your mission if you truly beheld your king. Well, let's turn our eyes one more time. We're going we're gonna to see uh, our, our third and fourth behold, that they're both uh, together. In verse 23, it says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them in four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John's way in the whole gospel to identify himself, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. We'll pause one more time and behold something. From, from the cross, from Jesus' hurt and pain and agony, he looks out and he sees other people. He, he sees their, their grief, their worry, their, their pain. In his own agony and pain, he looks out for the needs of other people. I think if any of us would have been on that cross, we would have screamed out, this is unfair. This isn't right. How could they do this? Why doesn't somebody come help me? But Jesus, in his hurt and pain and grief, actually looks for, out for the needs of other people. And what he sees is he sees like this new family being born. Hey, hey John, see your mother? Hey mother, see your, your son? It's like this whole new family that's come. And, and, the, and the idea that he would say, John, you're going to kind of replace me. I'm going away, but my mother's still there, so I want you to be a son to my mother. I want you to protect her, care for her. Love her. Make sure she's got what she needs. Mom, love on him. Pray for him as you would any son that you have. You see, if we truly beheld others as uh, this new family in Jesus, we would, we would see strangers that are sitting next to us on the pews, and, and then we would see this opportunity to love and care for people. That maybe you don't even know that well, but as we're in the same family of God, uh, you would be thinking about other people. What would it look like if somebody walked through that door for the first time and they felt like they were coming to a family reunion of people they hadn't seen in 20 years? What, what would that look like? Hey, you're here! It, I'm so glad! Now, tell me about yourself. It wouldn't at all be, look at me, and am I in the right place? It would be, you belong here. We care about you. This is right where you need to be. We, we would have things in, in conversations that wouldn't be about, well, let me tell you about what I did. We'd have more things in conversations like, that's really interesting. Can you tell me more about that? I'd love to get to know you a little more. 
But the problem is we get into this thing called the crazy cycle where we walk in and nobody looks at us or we walk into some place and no, one, no one's actually asking about us. And so we're like, well, no one really cares about me except for me. And so I better watch out for me first. So then I start watching out for me and talking about me and putting myself in my place and this is where I belong. And, and then people hear that and go, oh, all he cares about is himself. So if I care about him, maybe no one would care about me. So I'm going to start taking care of myself too. I mean, I need my time. I, this is my, this is me, me, me. And then all of a sudden you have this crazy cycle of everyone going, look at me, it's all about me. But in that crazy cycle, Jesus put a stop to it on the cross. In his pain, in his agony, in the unfairness, the unjustness of it all, he looks out and goes, I see you. I see what you need. Uh, there's this continuing care and love. I think if we did that as a church, uh, it would be more than just the, the programs where we connect with people. But we would see people who uh, haven't been here in a couple weeks because they've been sick, and we would send them a card or let them know, hey, care about you. You know, people walk through the door that may not look like us. Um, maybe they're just swearing up and down. And we'd be like, brother, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I think if we truly beheld others as Jesus beheld them from the cross, it, it, would, it would change us. Well, let me, let me get to the last one. This one doesn't have a behold uh, in it, but the whole text of scripture is about it. I want us to just for a few minutes behold the cross. Behold the cross. Let me, let me just read uh, three more, four more verses. Verse 28 it says, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, complete, it was fulfilled, uh, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scriptures, I Thirst. Now, if you look in your footnotes, you'll see where this comes from. This is from Psalm 69. It seems like an obscure text, but, but Jesus has the Psalms on his mind, and actually he's seeing the Psalms while he's on the cross. We see it over and over again. Verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it's finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Let's stop right there. It's finished. Now don't read, I am finished. Don't read Jesus going, oh, I'm going to die. That's not what he says here. He doesn't say, I'm finished. He says, it is finished. It's complete. It's accomplished. Which should beg us to go, what's accomplished? What's finished? Well, and I think if we read the whole of Scripture, we would see all of the Old Testament hopes and promises of redemption in the world that we've been longing for for so long, relief from the curse, a way of salvation. All of that is now finished, complete, done. There has been a purpose in all of this that is now fully fulfilled with the picture of Jesus on the cross. It is finished, which means there's, there's no need to look anywhere else. 
There's no need to look at Jesus for a little bit, and then, but he's not all the answers, so let me, how else can I fulfill this? Jesus goes, this is it. If you behold the cross, it fulfills everything, purpose, meaning in life, everything. It's finished. Well, Jesus has the Psalms on his mind, and so another thing uh, that he is actually doing with this line, it is finished, is he's actually quoting from a psalm. Uh, he's begun this psalm on the cross, uh, and lots of, lots of scholars and pastors have made these connections as well. Uh, he, psalm 22 is fresh on his mind as he's almost singing it on the cross. Uh, psalm 22, you, you might know these first lines very, really well. Psalm 22, it begins with this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And those are, the, those are the first lines Jesus says on the cross. And we stop there, and we don't read any more of the psalm, when actually, I think in Jesus' mind, he's singing the whole psalm. The whole of the psalm. And if you have time this afternoon, go back and read Psalm 22. Because the psalm doesn't end there. Let me, let me just read the last few lines of the psalm with this idea of Jesus on the cross in the back of your mind. Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. All the posturists of the earth eat and worship. Before Him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That's us. That he has done it. But in Hebrew, if you translate he has done it, there's another way you could actually translate it. Uh, just as um, correctly, it is finished. It's complete. It, it's over. The kingdom of God is at hand. Sin is forgiven. New life is offered. You, you, your sin, your guilt, your shame is taken care of on the cross. And, and the whole time, John's like, behold, behold. Would you open your eyes and just see it? And if you truly see it, it will change you. So the question this morning as we end the message is really, have you truly beheld Jesus? Have you truly beheld the man who took away your sin, who was beaten and bruised and crushed to undo the curse in your life, to open up a way of freedom for you and forgiveness? Have you beheld your king who served others, laid his life down for others? Have you beheld those around you as even your, your family? If we truly behold Jesus, if we truly behold the cross of Christ, then something will change in us. Um, I think as we go through throughout the week, we, we're like that little kid who comes to the edge of the pool, and we have a decision to make every, every time. Are we going to look to Dad? Are we going to trust in His power, His might, and authority? Or, or are our eyes going to go back down to our circumstances, to the situation, and Jesus the whole time is going, get your eyes up. Look at me. If you're feeling that guilt and shame, look to me. I paid for it. 
I'm asking you to come, jump out, come into the kingdom of God. And, and I would say, if some of you haven't done that this morning, uh, this, is, this is a great chance. As Jesus is standing in the pool going, jump, come on, I'll catch you. I've paid for your sin. Come to me. And for those of us who have done that, just to be reminded over and over again, to behold your king. Get your eyes up. Look to Jesus and everything else will fall into place. As we look to Jesus, our king, because it's finished. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this boy, this rich, deep passage of scripture. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you paid for our our sins, our, our shame, our guilt. You undid the curse that you opened up a way for us to have a relationship with you, that we could enter the kingdom of of God, that we could be in relationship to a community of people that are following after you. Lord, on and on it goes, because on the cross, when you said it is finished, complete, it's done, Lord, that we would find our ultimate answer in you. And Lord, if somebody is, is here this morning that doesn't know you, that is on the edge of the pool wondering, should I jump or, or, or not? Lord, that they would look on you and have this faith from you built up in them so that they could uh, just have faith and trust to, to lean into you, that they could see who you truly are. And Lord, would we truly behold you this Advent season as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel rooted in God's Word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.